have your Bibles that you would turn to John chapter 14 today. And I want to speak for just a few moments. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And as you're turning to John chapter 14, I'm going to be reading a text out of verses 16 through 18. As I was in the sanctuary this morning before church, just kind of spending some time in prayer and was walking around, I, I looked up at, at the banner that we have that states our mission. And I was captured again by the first line of that. And if you want to turn and look at it, it says, We exist to partner with the Holy Spirit. We exist to partner with the Holy Spirit. So when we as a church are looking at the reason that we exist, the first thing that we need to understand is that we are in partnership with the Holy Spirit. We don't lead this church. The Holy Spirit does. I was reminded when I was at council and we were talking to different pastors and, and the terminology came up again and again. So how is your church doing? And, and another pastor friend and I were sitting there and we started laughing about it. it says, you know what? These are not our churches. It's my church in the sense that I belong to this community, but this church belongs to God, and we exist to partner with the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, beginning with verse 16, Jesus speaking said, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Father God, as we approach this Pentecost Sunday and we begin to minister on the Holy Spirit and Your role within our lives, I pray today, God, that You would help Your servant to have a spirit that is calm and listening to the direction that you have. As I have prepared my thoughts under your direction, Lord, I now ask that you would give me the ability through your anointing to articulate those thoughts so that we might be fed today of your word and that we might have the capability of being nourished and growing as a result of it. Lord, our mission statement says we exist to partner with you. I pray that we would learn to yield to you so that your direction supersedes ours. And what you want to accomplish in every life is done according to your will. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it really mean to be Pentecostal today? Several years ago, I was in Valley Forge Christian College and myself and the district youth director of Pennsylvania, Doug Sayers, and the district youth director of New Jersey, Fabian Calapuch and I were standing in front of the graduating seniors, those who were going to be graduating and going into ministry. And one of the students during that question and answer time asked me that. What does it mean to be Pentecostal today? And the first thing that came to my mind as I answered that question, of course, is the standard, the standard you know, one-word answer of power. It means power. But I think today as I have contemplated what it means to be Pentecostal in our day and age today, that having given it some thought, I might answer that question a little bit differently. I think a more full answer might be it means to be dependent. It means to be dependent. The concept of spiritual dependence, the idea that we who belong to Jesus Christ Empowered by the Holy Spirit, 
learn to give our lives away to God on a daily basis, recognizing that He paid for our salvation, meaning that we no longer own ourselves, we no longer own our own schedule, we no longer own our own direction, we no longer own our own future. All of those things in His, are in His hands means that we have to learn to live a life of dependence upon the Lord. And that, I believe, is a good explanation of what it means to be Pentecostal. There are several different varieties of subjects concerning what it means to live a Christian daily life in the Spirit. Number one would be divine guidance. We learn to count upon God to give us guidance in everything that we do on a daily basis. In fact, for those of you that get up in the morning and you have early morning prayer, generally one of the things that we ask of the Lord is, Lord, we give you this day. Whatever you want to accomplish in it through us, we give you permission. Now, we do understand that when we say that, God has the right to interrupt any plans that we may have so that He can give us divine guidance in what He wants to accomplish through us. But being Pentecostal people, being fully dependent upon the Lord, we certainly understand that there's an aspect of that 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 is lived out in divine guidance. There's also an aspect of being Pentecostal people that has lived out in the idea of giving God complete influence and control of your new personality. We recognize that when we come to Christ, the Bible tells us that we are made brand new. We are new creatures. In other words, there is a new species of being. We are no longer are tied to this world, but there's an aspect of His divinity that is at work within us to make us different than we were before. And so one of the ways that we know that we belong to Christ is there's a personality change within us. Being Pentecostal people means that we learn to be dependent upon the Lord to help us develop the personality traits of God within us. In other words, those are the things that we talked about in a series called the fruit of the Spirit. The personality traits of Jesus Christ lived through us in spiritual dependence. I would say another way that we can be contemporary Pentecostal people living life in the Spirit would be that there should be something unusual about our capacity to forgive others and show mercy. That if we're going to be people that are lived, uh, that live in the Spirit and are indwelled by the Spirit, then there must be something about the way that we deal with hardship and the way that we deal with people when they wrong us that is different than those that don't know Christ. And so obviously if we're going to be dependent people, there should be something divine about the way that we can grant forgiveness and the way we deal mercifully with people. And as I've contemplated the simple word dependent, I have concluded that it is essential to understanding life that is walked in the Spirit. Literally meaning, Lord, I am dependent upon You. I was thinking about the picture of this this past week because... My wife and I have made a great team as it relates to packing things up and things of that nature. And I recognize when we get married, you give yourself away to somebody. When young people stand before the Lord and they're giving their marriage vows, the bride literally says, I'm giving myself to you. The man literally looks at her and says, I'm giving myself to you. You hold my future in your hand. There's a level of codependency upon one another. When we come to Christ, we literally are saying to him, we give ourselves to you. And so that we might walk in that relationship in your spirit. Today, my mind is kind of going to be domestic in some different things because of the packing that I have been doing. But as my wife was standing at our china cabinet this week and opened those doors, she began to take out the china that was in there and take bubble wrap and wrap each individual piece in that and place it gently in the box. And I was looking at that thinking, 
Here's the piece of furniture that I look at a lot, but I was not allowed to touch. And it's got these beautiful windows, and behind it there's this display of, of China that I remember the China pattern because it was something that people, when we were engaged, my wife chose the China pattern. I discovered men have very little to do with that. She chose a pattern of, of China, and people were giving us settings of this. And the funny thing about it is we may have used that once or twice a year through the whole lifespan of our marriage. And here she is gently taking each piece out, wrapping it up and putting it in there. It's been on display. We have everyday dishes that we can get a hold of that we go to our cupboard for and open those things up. And we use those and we toss them in the sink and all these things. And I begin to think sometimes we as Pentecostal people use the Holy Spirit as if he is the fine china. We put him on display in the cabinet. We close the doors. The windows open. We tell people, you can look at us, but don't, don't touch the fine china. In other words, Holy Spirit, we will come to you, and when we let you out of the box is when we want you just to look good. And I believe that the Scripture would indicate to us, based on what we read this morning, that a life being walked in the Spirit means the Holy Spirit is not to be the fine china of our life. He's to be the everyday dishes. He wants to be involved in everything in your life. Don't put him in a box behind a glass where you can see him. Use it every day and live like you belong to the Spirit of the Lord. Many people just don't feel the need for the Holy Spirit. And this may be because so many different people have seen spiritual gifts and spiritual manifestations that have been misused to the point where we no longer desire those things. And so we put those in the china cabinet, close the door, and say, we'll bring you out if we need you. I think much of the dismissal of the need of the Holy Spirit has to do with people seeing a disconnect between the testimony of those who say they are Spirit-filled and their actual conduct. How many of you have ever heard people say, I won't go to church because of the hypocrites? Indicating that from their perspective, there's a disconnect between who we say we are and our behavior. Jesus talked about the cares and the anxieties of the world. And He said they have a way of crowding things out or, or crowding Him out. And when our life is full of appointments and when we think that we have what we need to make it, and listen, every one of us can be guilty of this. There are moments that we get up and we think, you know what, things are going good today. My relationships are good. Things are going good at the job. Things are going good at the house. Everything's good. You know, I, we get to those months where... Salary-wise, things are taken care of, and we just look at it, and suddenly we begin to think, I can do this on my own. And the Lord says that that is a dangerous thought when we get to the place where we no longer think that we need Him, but sometimes we think we can make it on our own. And we tend to get comfortable, and we tend to get satisfied, and this is exactly what the Scripture spoke of about the Laodicean church that said when they got that way, they were neither hot nor cold. They were just comfortable. Things are going all right. Conditions like that, and I would say that those conditions apply more to the American church, perhaps than any other churches in our world. But when conditions like that arise, it makes it hard for us to recognize our need to live life in the life of the Holy Spirit. And in spite of the relative ease of our lives, the Holy Spirit would remind us today that we have an essential need for His help in everything we do. In fact, our district superintendent at our presbyter meeting that we just had Monday 
told us as, as presbyters that our next meeting that we're going to be having together in June, he wants us to come and he says, we are setting aside several hours during the first day of our business so that we can discuss what it means and what it should look like to be a Pentecostal church in this day and age. One of the things that he brought up is we have a lot of our young people today that are struggling intellectually with the doctrine of the evidence, of the initial physical evidence of the Holy Spirit being speaking in tongues. And as we begin to just discuss that among ourselves, basically, we kind of came to some conclusions that what happens is that there's a generation of young people that are growing up that have not seen enough churches with the enduring evidence of what it means to live life in the Holy Spirit. And so they begin to question the initial physical evidence. And so I pray when I pray for this church that the Holy Spirit would have free reign in our lives to do whatever we desire, whatever He desires to do, so that the world will be able to see in our lives an enduring evidence that we are people of the Spirit and not just a quick physical evidence that says we've got something without a corresponding life. The only difference some of our young people see between a Pentecostal church and a non-Pentecostal church is that Pentecostals speak in tongues and sometimes it scares them. The younger generation is looking for more than words. They long to witness the demonstration of the Spirit's person, the demonstration of the Spirit's presence, and the demonstration of the Spirit's power in everyday living. Listen to me. Living the Christian life isn't difficult. It's impossible. Let me repeat that. Living a truly Christian life isn't difficult. It is impossible to do on your own. We must have the help of the Holy Spirit. And God knows that because He made us to be dependent people upon Him. He didn't make you so that you could just get a touch of Him and the rest of it was just like winding you up and you could go on your own. He's created us to be dependent people. And as it was with His first followers, we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. We celebrate the Helper that the Lord promised that he said would indwell us and he said would empower his followers to be witnesses in our world. And so today we come on this Pentecost Sunday desperately needing the supernatural working of the Spirit to accomplish God's purpose in our life. In your bulletin there are a list, I think, of four different points that I'd like to touch on this morning. The first one is the promise of power. And I want you to know that this will probably be a series that we'll continue into next week. And and I know that I've had a number of people that have been calling me that are seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to have some time to pray afterwards this morning. But next Sunday, we're going to begin to specifically pray for a sweeping move of God's Spirit within our lives. But I want to set a stage for you about what it means to be a life lived in the Spirit today. I mentioned in that class that day that I stood there and I mentioned to those students that were graduating that a spiritual life lived in Pentecost is one of power. But sometimes we get the wrong impression of power. In the final hours before Jesus' crucifixion, He taught His disciples extensively about the Holy Spirit. He spent time with them. This was the topic of His discussion. Who He said, I will be sending from the Father who will be to you a helper. A helper. The Holy Spirit's power will come to you as a helper. And there were three things that I thought that was rather significant about some of the Scriptures that speaks to us today about what it means to have the promise of power. The first thing that we need to notice, it's significant that Jesus' promise concerning the Helper was in the context of keeping His commandments. Look, if you would, and again at our text in John 14. Verses 15 and 16, it says, If you love Me, 
if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then immediately following that, he states, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Number one, I want you to notice that he said he'd be with us forever. In other words, there's never going to be a moment of time in our lives lived on this earth that we don't need his help. He's always going to be with us. But I find it interesting that Jesus in the aspect, the first thing that he says about his spiritual power or the Pentecostal power is the Holy Spirit will come to be with us, a helper to obey him. How many of you know it's hard to live by law? When everything is black and white, right and wrong, it's a very difficult thing to do. And once we know that we are guilty of one breaking one law, we're guilty of all of them. And so the Lord says, obviously, you're not going to be able to live this life on your own. So I'm going to be sending you a helper. And the first power of the Holy Spirit is going to be simply to help you obey. So what I would say to you who are having difficulty and perhaps you find yourself falling into the same weakness and the sin again and again and again, one of the powers that the Holy Spirit will give to you as you live life in the Spirit is that He will help you to obey. Thank you, Jesus. One of the ways He helps you to obey is by teaching you that the ways that you've always gone and you've always fallen in the same hole, He's going to teach you to walk a new way. He's going to teach you some new things in your life. He's going to help you develop some disciplines. But the very first promise of power was that when He comes, He will help you to obey. In other words, you don't have to live life on your own. I find it interesting that Jesus was speaking to His disciples, those whom He had invested three years of His life walking with Him. They'd seen everything that He was doing. He was talking to them. They were asking questions. And the one thing that He said to them is that when I leave here, you're not capable of doing this on your own. So I'm going to send a helper who's going to be with you forever. If those men who had walked with Jesus were not capable of doing it on their own, then we certainly are not capable today and need the power of the Spirit to be obedient. The second promise of power was for a missions-minded and evangelistic-focused church in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is Jesus' last words to His disciples. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be My witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. The Lord begins to speak to them of a Pentecostal power that would affect their whole world. Now, we get used to walking into the church and seeing the same things again and again, but I'm going to ask you that when you leave here this morning, that you would stop at our missions wall. That Pastor Mark and some of his friends helped paint. That rather than just having missionary pictures out there, we've got one arrow where... Grace Assembly would be, and then you see all of these spokes that are reaching out to all of the different places across the world. One of the symptoms or qualities of a healthy church is a church that recognizes that with the help of the Spirit, one of the ways that we reach outside these walls is that we touch the whole world through missions. Christ never intended that His body be locked into a room and that the only focus that we have is making sure that we're good but not the rest of the world. And so He said, people that live life in the Spirit will be missions-minded and evangelistic-focused. Now, our staff meets together regularly on Monday mornings. We kind of review the things that have taken place for the week. We review the service on Sunday. We begin to 
outline the things that we're doing. And one of the weaknesses that I have discovered in our church to this point is that there are a lot of things we do really well, but we have not been very evangelistic yet within our own community. We're seeking to change that. We're looking for ways that we can reach our community because we seem to have done a very good job in reaching our world through missions. But there's an, a, local, a local evangelistic thrust that we, are, that we are missing. So we have been praying, Lord, give us spiritual ideas. Since we're going to walk in the Spirit, lead us into ways in which this church can manifest our love for our community by ministering to people that we know right here. And help us to be evangelistic with your name and your power. Because the power of the Holy Spirit comes so that we can be evangelistic and missional in our thrust. After the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, it also says that spectacular miracles took place. The sick were brought onto the streets on beds and couches so that even the shadow of Peter might touch them. Luke records, and, uh, records in Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12 this. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were carried from the body from him to the sick and diseases left them and evil spirits went out. I want you to notice that Luke uses a word here that is extraordinary. In other words, these things were unusual in the sense. He describes them as unusual or extraordinary miracles. And other translations use the word special. Placing the sick even where Peter's shadow could cross by and people were experiencing healing recognizing that it wasn't Peter's shadow that was bringing the healing. It was because he was walking in the Spirit and it was the Spirit of God that was bringing the healing so that no man could begin to boast about the gifts that they had. Paul's handkerchiefs. And we've, we've even seen and heard today of, uh, of ministry and TV evangelists and things that if you, know, you send a certain amount of offering and I will send you a handkerchief that we've anointed and prayed for and we'll send it out. And you know, this is where that came from. But... The Scripture indicates to us that this was unusual or spectacular. What the Bible does tell us about healing is that we can expect it, but gives us some instructions in James chapter 5, verse 14, that says, If you are sick and you need to be touched, then call for the elders of the church and come to them, and they will anoint you with oil, and they will pray the prayer of faith over you. One of the great confusions of life lived in the Spirit is... The difference between supernatural and spectacular. And I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about that this morning. In the discussions that I have had with people who are hungry for a deeper life in the Spirit, many of their questions revolve around the spectacular things of the Spirit. The spectacular things. When most people think of the Holy Spirit's power, they usually... Envision visible, spectacular works of the Spirit. Great miracles, unusual things. And most of the time, that kind of power that we need in everyday life is not spectacular. Most of the power we need in everyday life is supernatural. Listen to me. Accomplishing God's purpose in the world requires divine help beyond our natural abilities. Supernatural living is not always outwardly dynamic. If all you are going to look for is the extraordinary, is the miracles, is the flash, is the scenes, then you will be easily led astray. And if all you do is put supernatural acts into something 
that is unusual, then you have missed the fact that the Lord says, when I am walking with you in daily life, a life lived in faithfulness is a supernatural life. Because you're not capable of doing it on your own. And so when you walk in my spirit, supernatural may have a far more common meaning than we have thought in the past. In Acts 1.8, the word that is translated power comes from the Greek word dunamis. And that word, I need to let you know today, is wonderfully comprehensive. We think of it as dynamite or explosive. There's a flash, there's a bang, it's everybody's attention. But within that word is also a comprehensive understanding that simply means ability. In other words, God gives us supernatural ability to live for Him on a daily basis. A life lived in the Spirit in obedience is a supernatural life. The power that Jesus promised His followers is in every aspect of Christian living, enabling His followers to do and be whatever the Lord has purposed for your life. Each individual is unique. We struggle with different personality weaknesses. We struggle with different things. The Holy Spirit knows our hearts. He knows our motives. He knows our personal flaws and supernaturally wants to walk alongside of you so that your personal weaknesses are strengthened by Him and you are able to live a supernatural life of obedience that is outside your common personality. That's supernatural. I've broken my microphone. Supernaturally. So when we classify living in the Spirit as only spectacular, we have done a disservice to the work of the Spirit that says a supernatural life is one of faithfulness and obedience. And so the help that you need to live a supernatural life is going to be different than the help that they need. The help I need to live a supernatural life is going to be different than what you need. The power of the Spirit helps each of us as individuals. To the shy, inhibited person... They need the help of the Spirit so that they can speak up. To the outgoing, impulsive person, they need the help of the Spirit so they can shut up. The Holy Spirit's power provides for us whatever we need in a very supernatural way to help us live common lives for the glory of the Lord. Again, I refer to the fact that we had spent several weeks talking about what the fruit of the Spirit is. The personality traits of Jesus are in a believer's life, and they are love, joy, peace, patience, and all the other characteristics that Paul describes for us in Galatians 5. They may not seem spectacular. We look at these, life lived in the Spirit, and we don't see spectacular. We don't see unusual. We don't see flash. We don't see bang in that. But I want you to certainly know that each one of these lived out in your life through the help of the Spirit is supernatural because it's beyond your natural capabilities to live that way. So when people look at our lives and see love, especially love for people that have wronged us, they see something supernatural. When they look at your life and they see overflowing joy in the midst of sorrow, they have to know that that's not born of you, that that is supernatural by the Spirit of God. When they look at your life and see you living in peace in the middle of a crisis, they know that's supernatural. That's not born of you. That has to be born of the Spirit. When they look at your life and see patience in the middle of tribulation, gentleness in response to hostility, these can be supernatural evidences that we are living a life lived in the Spirit because they are beyond our natural ability. They are supernatural. And so we each are called to live a supernatural life that the Lord has called us to. So please understand 
the supernatural working of the Spirit will not always be spectacular. It won't always be sensational. But it is convincing evidence of the presence and the life of the Spirit within us. It's not just signs and wonders. In fact, in recent years, there's been much taught concerning the signs and wonders. And those two words are used frequently throughout the book of Acts. But Jesus spoke of signs and wonders twice. And He warned His followers not to be deceived by false prophets in the last days who would show signs and wonders. In fact, you can discover these verses in Mark 13, 22, and then in Matthew 24, 24, says the same thing. But let me read this to you. This is Jesus speaking of the signs and wonders. He said, For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. I had an illustration of this when I was in India a number of years ago. I was sitting in the airport in Calcutta and I was sitting alongside a missionary and another pastor that I was traveling with and we were waiting for our plane to arrive and there was an airplane that had come and suddenly hundreds of Indians began to make their way into the terminal and they were all dressed in, in, in very flashy clothes and the missionary, as he's looking at this crowd coming through, saying, these people here are some of the highest officials that we have in our land and some of the highest officials that we have in business and industry here they're all there their wives are there their families coming in and so we were just astounded at this crowds of hundreds of people lining up and the door of the plane opened up and the first person that came off that was an indian man and he was dressed in in gold clothing and he comes off and as soon as he stepped on the ground many of these people begin to fall on their face before him some of the men were actually shoving their wives toward him and i mean, I, I said what are they doing? And he says, oh, these men are giving their wives to him to, uh, you know, to whatever favors he desires because, you know, if he would be with them, it would bless their families and all of these things that were taking place. And I'm watching this astounded. And I said, who is he? And they said, well, he is a Hindu God here. And I said, based on what? And the missionary looked at me and he said, do I need to remind you of Matthew, and it says that there will be false prophets that will do false signs and wonders. And I said, well, what does it mean? He goes, this man in front of all of these people at one time poured water into a gas tank and it was turned into gasoline. And as a result of that, he has achieved a deity among them, a false sign and wonder. And he says he's captured the minds and the hearts of many of the elite of this area of India. And I watched as that man walked by and I thought, for the first time I've seen a false prophet and a false god that performed a false sign and wonder to deceive people. And in John chapter 4, verse 48, Jesus was speaking to the official at Capernaum and those around him when he said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. In other words, he is indicating to us that if you are looking for the Holy Spirit to constantly do spectacular things, you're going to miss out on what it means to live a life in the Spirit just using the common dishes rather than on the china. That the Spirit is to be lived daily. And that your life lived for the Lord is supernatural in the way that He helps you to live. So many people say, well then how are people going to know that God is here if He doesn't do spectacular things and if we don't see the signs and wonders? And let me tell you about the dangers of this. I have seen the rise and fall of churches because people look for flash rather than substance. If you are always going to look for the next great thing, 
Churches that's going to throw the crutches and the wheelchairs up on the wall as testimonies of the number of people to be healed. And pastors are going to swing their jackets around and blow and make a show of the spectacular of the Holy Spirit. If you're going to win them that way, you're going to have to keep them that way. And so many people have associated that with what it means to have a life lived in the Spirit to where people are put off that if that's what it's about, I don't want it. And the Holy Spirit says, my life is to be lived daily. I'm to daily live with you so that I can supernaturally work through you. There will be times when I will be spectacular, but that will be the unusual times rather than the usual. I'm looking for a people who will be dependent upon me. And so in John 13, 35, when Jesus is looking at his disciples who were thinking, we need more flash, we need more miracles, we need more spectacular, we need the Spirit to do these things How are they going to know that we're real if we don't have those? It says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, you want to know what's going to capture people's attention about a life lived in the Spirit? The way we treat each other. We're family. When we have guests that come into our church, the way that we treat them will be the demonstration of the supernatural power of the Spirit of God through us. Jesus said the greatest testimony is the way we interact with one another that people see becomes supernatural when it's lived in them through the Spirit. And so while we pray that God will perform miracles, and while we have seen people in our own congregation that have been touched by the power of God, we have seen miraculous healings, we've seen things take place, I want you to understand that that is the spectacular part, but not necessarily the everyday dishes part of a supernatural life. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our spiritual lives, in our emotional lives, in our relationships. We are not naturally capable of being all God wants us to be without His divine help. And so He asks us to live by faith. In fact, we have as our theme verse that's printed in the bulletin, without faith, it's impossible to please God. One of the ways that we live by faith is to be dependent upon the Spirit of the Lord. We essentially do whatever He asks us to do because we believe that He will lead us in ways that will give Him the glory. One of our greatest personal needs is the, the need for motivation. And the Spirit works on that. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. In other words, a life lived in the Spirit will be motivated by the Spirit, and anything that you do that is good is because the Spirit motivated you to do that. He receives the glory through the work that you do. Supernatural living lived in the Spirit. Seems like common dishes when you're touching people's lives. He moves us to do what we don't have the internal motivation to do, and He inspires our passions. The Spirit also helps us when we pray. The Apostle Paul wrote, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. I have a bunch of those. Just want to warn you right up front. Don't know about you? I have a bunch of weaknesses. And I'm glad that the Spirit knows what they are. So that when I walk in the life of the Spirit, I know that whenever I overcome something, it was not me, it was the Spirit that works through me, and the same will be said of you. He says it helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we ought to pray. Have any of you ever been in a situation when you've been asked to pray for something and you just didn't know what to say? One of the reasons that we seek for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is because not only is tongues the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, 
Tongues also becomes your prayer language by which you have direct access to the presence of God and Satan doesn't know what you're saying. It's a perfect prayer from your heart to God and he will take your prayer in tongues and present it even in ways that you didn't know could be possible. And that's the Spirit working things out within us. He encouraged believers to pray at all times in the Spirit with all perseverance and petition for all saints in Ephesians six eighteen. In other words, this is the life that we are to live supernaturally because the Spirit motivates us in all these things. So praying in the Spirit enables us to seek the Lord and intercede beyond our own understanding or wisdom. And we need the Holy Spirit at work in every aspect of our lives, not just in church on Sunday. In fact, we may need it less here than anywhere else because here we've got the peers, the eyes of all of our peers around us that keep our behavior intact. It's when we get outside these walls that, we, that the real person comes out. Unfortunately for me, it's when I get behind the wheel behind a dumb driver. Am I alone in that? Just checking. Thirdly, we need a continuing inpouring. In the Old Testament, when the Israelites were fleeing Egypt for the Promised Land, God gave them bread from heaven called manna. It fed them through their wilderness journey. It was not a supply to be stored up. He didn't give them enough at the beginning of the month to last them all month. He gave what was necessary for them on a daily basis. We also know that the Scripture says to us that His mercies to us are new every morning. In other words, God has built into us the need to be dependent upon Him. He doesn't give you Monday strength on Sunday afternoon. He wants you to approach Him on Monday for what you need for Monday and today for what you need today. He will give us these things as we seek Him for this, but He gives you just enough to keep you dependent upon Him. He wants you to live a life in the overflowing fullness of His Spirit. But He says, be filled with the Spirit. And that word, be filled, is a continuing word. It never ends constantly. Standing under the shower of His Spirit, being alive, lived in the Spirit, be continually infilled with the Spirit. So for those of you that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you have not been current in your prayer language, you need to understand that the initial physical evidence is only a start. It's the introductory to a life that's lived in the Spirit that the Lord wants to renew in you every day. We need to keep being filled. And lastly, we need to live a life of dependence. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would please come. In the Beatitudes, the first quality that Jesus listed in describing the blessed life is a life of poverty in the Spirit. The acknowledgement of our absolute spiritual need. Living the life of the Lord that He has destined us to requires that we depend upon His grace and the Spirit's power continuously. Paul, when he was an old man late in his life, he wrote 2 Peter 1, verse 3, which to me has been a Scripture that I have run to many, many times. Paul, as an old man, looked back and he said, you know what? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Some of the characteristics of that verse that I find so inspiring to me It's the fact that he didn't separate it out. He said, you know what? God's going to give you what you need for your life. Sometimes we think that God's only concerned about our spiritual life and not our life on earth. I want you to know that there is no such thing as a separation of what is spiritual versus what is secular. You have one life. 
God wants you to know that He understands that the part of your life that's lived on this earth, He's concerned about. And then as you walk in the Spirit, He will give you what you need for life. But He also supplies everything that you need for obedience to His godliness. Supernatural. So when we talk about what does it mean to be Pentecostal, it means to be one living a life of dependence on the Spirit of the Lord. The Helper whom Jesus sent from the Father to empower His first followers will do the same for us today. The Holy Spirit will be the empowering presence to spiritually strengthen us and to help us in all of life. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me today. The worship team is going to lead us in that same song that we were singing during the worship time. And you're comfortable, you can make an altar where you are. If you'd like to come and stand in the front, you may do that. If you want to just kneel where you're at, you can do that. We have a few minutes before we eat. and I want you to spend some time today and just ask the Lord to prepare you to live a life walked in the Spirit. Some of you need to apologize to the Lord because you've used Him as fine china and you've put Him on display and you've closed the doors and say, I'll take you out when I need you those one or two times a year because I'm looking for something spectacular when He simply wants to be the supernatural God in your life on an everyday basis. He says, no, no, take me out of here and put me in, put me in the cupboard you use all the time. Because I'm here to walk daily through you to enable you to live a life that pleases me on a daily basis, which means my supernatural power. So here in His presence,